The Black Doctors Podcast highlights the stories of minority professionals with the goal of inspiring others. If you like what you hear, please subscribe and share with others, because the next generation can't be what they don't see. Tune in every Monday to hear our stories told by us. Hello and welcome back to the Black Doctors Podcast. Today, I'm so privileged to be speaking with Dr. Safaya Lynn Lassiter, or Dr. Lynn. She is an emergency medicine physician practicing in Florida. Dr. Lynn, thank you so much for joining us. I appreciate it. Thank you for having me and inviting me on the show. It's an honor to be here and speak about my career and my life and how things have really transitioned for me over the last couple of years. Awesome. So as an emergency medicine physician, you've been in practice for, I think, six or seven years. I graduated from residency in 2010 and um, did a three-year residency, or I'm sorry, graduated from medical college in 2010, did a three-year residency, and then moved down here. So yes, it's been all, over seven years now. What's a typical day like for you as an emergency medicine physician? Um, I work at an awesome freestanding emergency department out here in South Florida. I'm connected with a system that has three entities. So I rotate between a main campus in South Beach and then two satellite campuses in Hialeah and also Aventura. A typical day is a 12-hour shift, whether that's 7 a.m. or 7 p.m. Um, and you know how the ER is. You just kind of got to take whatever walks <laughs> in the door. There's never a prediction. Um, there's never an expectation. You know, you have great days and then other days you have really challenging days, especially in the midst of the pandemic right now. It's um, been up and down. We went through a period where no one wanted to come to the ER. So it was super dead. So everyone was avoiding the hospital. And now we're at a stage where everyone is desiring to get tested and more people are requiring treatment. So we're a little overwhelmed with the influx of patients. Wow. And then it, from your, your profile, it says you work at a freestanding emergency department. Can you? I hadn't heard that terminology before. Could you explain that? Absolutely. So there's different levels in emergency medicine. You have a tier trauma, you know, one, two, three, four level system where there are different specialties that are available for either full 24-hour coverage or partial coverage, which determines how extensive of a trauma center you are. And then a lot of the wave right now is for the main campuses to branch out into neighborhoods and place satellite campuses. The difference between an urgent care where you just kind of walk in and do minor care and treatment and a freestanding emergency department is at the freestanding, you're able to do imaging. So I have x-ray available to me, CAT scan, ultrasound. Oh, wow. Usually the only thing that's not available is MRI because if somebody's requiring an MRI, likely they need to be admitted and transferred to the main campus hospital. But otherwise you can get everything done in a smaller you know, division, usually 20 to 25 bed system, as opposed to some of the others, which are, you know, 40, 50, and 60-plus beds. It just kind of depends on where you're going. So you can get in and get out at a, at a quicker, you know, reasonable amount of time, but you're also able to get every, you know, imaging you need or require. All your labs will be performed on site. You'll get your results within a reasonable amount of time, you know, and we're also able to provide accurate treatment for orthopedic emergencies, um, you know, stroke, heart attacks, everything. So it's, it's pretty much an individual little island that if you need to be admitted to the hospital, you will be transferred out to the main campus and also a high rate of discharge for those patients since we're able to treat them on site. 
Wow. I mean, I know in medical school, I had no idea that that was an aspect of emergency medicine that was available. So it's different tiers. It all depends on how you want to train. And one thing, you know, for me, training at a trauma center, a huge trauma center with every specialty available to me at Morristown Medical Center, I understood what I do and don't want to do in terms of longevity for my career and burnout and things that I needed to take into accountability for lifestyle and emotional security and protection and also, you know, family. My daughter is now 11, thank goodness, and she's so much more independent. (laughs) But when I was going through residency, you know, I definitely understood, like, I definitely don't want to be at this trauma center. I don't want to be at this. You know, I, I really took the time to see different types of emergency medicine so I can understand where I'd like to practice full time. And, and when you first came out of residency and started at your uh, medical system, what was your position? Because I know you became the medical director. I don't know if you started as a medical yes. director and now or is an assistant medical director. What did you start out as? Great question. Um, no, you don't graduate from residency and go into a medical director position anywhere because you don't have the experience. So medical director requires um, there is a training program that you can do that will kind of prepare you better for politics of medicine, academia, you know, fundraising, policy writing, all of that stuff. You can do that if you want to focus on more academic medicine or if you want to become a medical director. It really requires the experience of working, you know, single-handedly in the ER, not directly under the supervision of your attendings as you are as a resident. You know, you're still working under somebody. Mm-hmm. As a, you know, as an individual attending where all the onus and accountability is on you, You really want to take at least one to two years to gain your footing in your system, understand your computer system, understand your policies, uh, JCO, HIPAA, all of those regulatory things that require your emergency department to keep flowing. No one really knows how important it is for time management and Prescani scores and, you know, things that you don't understand until you get in there and really start working the system. So you want to take one or two years to gain exposure and experience before even applying for a higher level position, which is what I would recommend. Um, And then there's medical director and assistant medical director. I started as an attending doing, you know, a full-time shift, 12 12 hour shifts and 12 shifts a month at Memorial Hospital out here in South Florida. And then I transition to Mount Sinai Hospital, and I was able to do more moonlighting and pick up maybe two or three shifts a month. Eventually, I gradually transitioned to the other hospital full-time, and after being there about a year, they asked me to become the medical director of this specific satellite campus down here. Hmm. So I did that for about two years, and then recently uh, stepped down as the assistant medical director since I've been really focusing a lot of my time and energy into Ask Dr. Lynn, which is a company that I launched a few years ago to help provide medical marijuana um, certifications and cards for patients in need down here in South Florida and really do cannabis education worldwide. Awesome. Can't wait to delve more into the, the Ask Dr. Lynn. Um, but that is something that I know a lot of people come out of residency don't realize that first you got to learn to be good at your clinical job and then there's a whole nother world of medicine. Oh yeah. There's the business side of medicine, which I'm still learning. You know, I've been in this game a couple of years now and I'm still learning and understanding and coding, you know, all of those things play an important role on how you're evaluated. What's your value to the hospital? What can you bring to the hospital? So 
you have to really understand, do you want to make your contribution via helping out the residency program? Do you want to make it doing, um, you know, policy writing for different kind of EMS things? Like, what is your area that you'd like to focus on? It's more than just going to work and going home. You have to be able to be an asset to your, your job and your experience and your counterparts. Yeah, that's good. So, Dr. Lynn, take us back to when you first decided to become a physician. Uh, that was forever ago. Let my mom tell it. I've always <laughs> wanted to do this. <laughs> you know, let her tell it. I, this has just been in my heart and my desire forever, as long as she can remember. You know, never been scared of blood, never been scared of caretaking. And that's, you know, something I've always walked into passionately. And I see a lot of that in my daughter now. So it's it's super cool to kind of watch the growth. How did you know what a physician was? Experience from just interacting with my pediatrician. And I will say at around maybe like 11 or so, I got braces. So I got a great experience with my orthodontist and just kind of understanding the mannerisms and how to care for patients. Thankfully, fortunately, I was never a a sick child, so I didn't have to be in and out of the hospital or anything like that. But I always had great experiences with other physicians um, being a patient and just loving how they took care of patients and the satisfaction that patients got. So it was something in my blood, I got to say, you know, and it's, I have no lineage, no background in it. I am the only physician in my immediate family. So it's, it's not, there's no legacy to this process or anything like that. I really was the first one to kind of propose it and, and imagine it and then manifest it. So, yeah. Where'd you go to college and what did you study? I graduated from Trinity College in Washington, D.C. I studied physical science. Um, I did. I took a four-year college career and condensed it into three years by going in the summer and on winter breaks. I just really accelerated that because um, I was ready to get out. <laughs> and I went immediately into NIH for a one-year training program and research program. Huh. During that year, I, I did my MCAT and you know studied and got research experience and publications and applied to medical school. Um, when I finished that one year, I started at Meharry Medical College in the post program. So I did like a one and a half, two-year post program at Meharry Medical College. And they really helped me because I needed to retake my MCATs. My scores were not strong. And um, they helped me to focus on that and understand pharmacology and physics and, and just kind of different hardcore sciences that I needed some more in-depth training with. And what classes I was doing in the postdoc program gave me first-year medical student credit. So it was a great program for me personally, especially because I accelerated through college. I didn't quite have, you know, everything that I needed. So doing the biochemistry and the pharmacology and the the physics in this postdoc program helped to create a strong foundation for starting medical school. So did the four-year medical program at McHarry. Best decision I've ever made in my <laughs> life. Life, life, life. Like, best decision ever. I'm grateful that they chose me because um, it was the, not not just in the training, not just in the education, but in the life skills that I gained there. You know, the teachers are incredible. And what I learned is how to care for people. Yeah. Um, beyond the textbooks, beyond um you know, the, di- the diagnosis or description, just caring for a person and being being interpersonal in my skills and trying to communicate more efficiently with different types of people. So 
I'm grateful. I'm super grateful for my experience at Meharry and I shout out Meharry all the time and really <laughs> encourage anyone who's considering medical school to look into that program because it's, um, it's beyond the books with them. They really do care and provide amazing service. And that's what, you know, our entity is about. That's what we do. Yeah, absolutely. I think in the 20 plus episodes I've done of the podcast, Howard and Meharry grads are, are neck and neck. I'll have to calculate yeah. it one day. That's right. <laughs> we'll figure it out. Although you did spend three years in D.C. and, and didn't end up at Howard. That's uh... Yep, I did. I did. My sister was in a Ph.D. program at Howard at the time, and um, it could have went either way. For me, personally, while I was in college, I was bartending, I was clubbing, I was hanging out, and I had too many distractions in yeah, the city. A D.C. experience. That, yeah, I loved it. Love it, love it, love it. But I couldn't concentrate for what I needed to do and the depth of dedication I needed to give to this medical school process to be successful. So for my personality, I needed to go away. And Meharry was a nurturing, beautiful experience um, in Nashville, in a city that I've never been to. So it really allowed me just kind of to sit down and hammer through because otherwise that's the only way you can get through that. You know, you have to be surrounded by people who are going through that same hardship to understand it. Absolutely. And, and I think if you, you don't quite understand HBCU medical schools and unless you went to one, Oh my Ooh, God. You can say that again. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. Yeah. So, so how was emergency medicine residency for you? Hard. Emergency medicine residency was hardish. Not going to lie. It was really hard. And you know why? Um, it was hard because my program was excellent. My program directors were excellent, but I had a daughter. You know, when huh. I graduated from Meharry Medical College, I mean, I'm sorry, when I graduated, uh, yeah, from Meharry Medical College, I took one year off and I delivered my daughter. I graduated in the summer, so I graduated in like um, June or, or July. And then I delivered my daughter in October and I decided for that year, before starting residency, I wanted to be home to be able to spend time with her. So um, it was very challenging to balance work and family as a new resident because the amount of information and curveball that you have to learn is um, tremendous. So there were definitely a lot of sacrifices in not being able to be present for my daughter in the first few years mm. and my husband in the first few years. You know, they were my rock and really held me down. Those three years were exceptionally challenging uh, personally and emotionally, but um, it's rewarding at the end. I just, I know that it's, it was three times harder because of the personal position I was in with family and child at the time. Yeah. You said you took a year off before residency for your family. Right. Yep. I interviewed, um, got accepted into my program and then deferred for a year. Let me ask you this. Do you regret that decision? Has it negatively impacted your career? No. Um, I was probably a little bit older from your typical age student, you know, at that time. So I think I had my daughter at 28. So I'm graduating from medical school at, you know, 28, 27 kind of time frame. So I've had gaps of experience in between, whereas, you know, other people might have been done a little bit earlier if they went straight through from college. Um, so personally, I didn't want to delay family and just me being the type of woman I am, I felt like I could do it all. <laughs> so it, <laughs> it wasn't something that I wanted to wait later for. 
Um, but in hindsight, I definitely see how it made my struggle a little bit harder from my other peers who were carefree with no responsibilities except to focus on residency and study. Yeah. So it just required more balance and required more discipline. And um, regrets, I, I wouldn't I wouldn't at all call it a regret. I would call it um, a matter of time management. I, yeah. I had to focus on my time management a lot. It, and, and the reason, um, yeah, yeah. The, re- the reason I bring that up is is people get so focused on accomplishing a timeline or right, comparing right. themselves to peers, and all along the way, there's there's different time periods where you can choose to focus on and and what is a priority for you. It's not just you know going straight through finishing medical school in four years, four years residency. You really have to sit down and figure out what is significant right now and. and Make sure you take advantage of those opportunities that are oftentimes once in a lifetime. Absolutely, definitely. Um, especially for my women, I know that's a challenging career career question with family and how to balance and when's the right time to plan for kids and stuff like that. Um, there's never a great time. You just you kind of have to go with the blessings that you get, and if that's the timing for you, then move into it and just you know really accept that you can't hang out on the weekends with other residents. You can't you know, do everything that everyone else is doing after your exams and going to the bar and studying. No, you got to go home and feed your kid. So it's, it's a different lifestyle, but it all depends on what you want. Absolutely. Well, Dr. Lynn, this is the the part I've been waiting for. So I am currently serving on active duty in the Navy, so I cannot uh, partake in your side business, but you (laughs) uh, work extensively in the field of uh, medicinal marijuana. Correct. And I know very little about this, so so please enlighten me and my listeners. Gladly. Um, I will say, in emergency medicine, you're a jack of all trades, right? So you know a little bit about every discipline, and you're, you're not necessarily focused on one thing in particular. Um, with that in mind, it's always important to consider being multi-talented and multifaceted with multiple streams of income. A lot of ER doctors will take a segue and do aesthetics in addition to emergency medicine, for example, like doing fillers or beauty, or even doing wellness like B12 shots or HGH diets and kind of different things in terms of the wellness and alternative medicine health. But you always want to have something just in case the hospital shuts down. (laughs) You know, you want to have other means. For me, at the time in late 2016, early 2017, the wave was CBD and, and cannabis, right? So that has become super popular over the last couple of years. And more than just the popularity was the benefits that I personally believed in. I'm from Jamaica, so I grew up with cannabis as my main medicine. So I would see my parents smoking. I would see, you know, my grandmother's using it as a solve, like different ways to deliver cannabis into your life and into your body. I personally have used several times prior and understood the power of it. And then as it became legalized down here in South Florida, I wanted to be able to offer educated information about its purpose and its value. So I took the time to self-learn and teach myself about how cannabis can be utilized down here, what are the expectations, what are the limitations of Florida, because it's different with every state. And just started getting the message out there that it is a great alternative to pain relief, 
inflammation relief. Cannabis is different in every state, so I needed to understand how it was going to be made available in our state in particular. So I took some time to really educate myself and then started educating the population. And as I started to speak about it on, on platform level, the inquiries were crazy. Like people were like, oh my gosh, how do I get involved? Like, how can I get a medical marijuana card? So I became a certified practitioner down here to deliver medical marijuana licenses and recommend and prescribe marijuana for patients down here. So it was a natural transition because of the impact it's had in my life personally. And then, uh, so how did, how did you build your, your brand around, around that? Like how much of your current practice is, is this? So I do both. I'm a full-time emergency medicine physician. And then full-time for me is 12 days a month, 12 days and 12 hour shifts. And then you also have to build in time for charting, right? So maybe 15 days out of the month is dedicated to emergency medicine. The other 15 days are dedicated to medical marijuana, right? Okay. So I balance the two in that respect. In terms of lifestyle, you know, when I'm on in the ER, I'm on. Like, I can't do both. But when I'm off, I'm able to do as much as I can with Ask Dr. Lynn and continue to build that part of my brand and company. But it is amazing because you won't really understand how many people are looking for this information. Like, you, until you really start doing it and kind of opening it up to allow people to feel comfortable to ask you about it. It's, uh, it's been a great blessing for so many. And I've seen personally how it has helped the transition. So many people from opiates and narcotics and kind of get away from their anti-anxiolytics and benzos. So it's, it's been wonderful in terms of that respect. I always do it with the intention of helping people to achieve their goal. So it's never, a, you know, I just want to try it to try it because we're not a recreational state. So it's always with the medicinal aspect in mind. And, and I know burnout is big in the emergency medicine community. Does this right. side uh, practice help with that or, or contribute to burnout? What do you think? Um, burnout has a lot to do with how you take care of yourself and how you process. So being overwhelmed has a lot to do with your personality. One thing I do really well is compartmentalize. I don't take my failures, losses, or wins in emergency medicine home with me. I really kind of keep that side of my life in that box. So that way, when I'm home, I can be present for my child and my family. It's, um, it's something that you have to understand that you can give, 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 and completely give to the point that you have nothing left to give. And at yeah. that point, you're not beneficial to anybody. So I, I do a really good job in compartmentalizing that world. But yes, do I have breakdown periods? Do I go through moments of, you know, feeling overwhelmed and feeling like, could I have done this better? Or would I change my routine or do anything like that? Absolutely. We all do that. And that's just human nature. So you have to find what works for you to preserve yourself. Because at the end of the day, you can't be good for anybody else until you're good within yourself. That's good. Dr. Lynn, thank you so much for coming on the show and educating us on your role as an emergency medicine physician, um, the emerging field of medicinal marijuana. What would you say to listeners, uh, you know, in closing about yourself? How can they get a hold of you? Where's the best place to find you? No problem. So my main social media platform that I do for engagement is Instagram. 
I have Facebook, I have YouTube, and everything is under the handle Ask Dr. Lynn, A-S-K-D-O-C-T-O-R-L-Y-N. So one and only, Ask Dr. Lynn. And it is uniform through all the social media. But my main source of engagement is through DMs with Instagram or people texting me directly. Cell phone numbers, 305-487-0902. And my website is really popular. It's also www.askdrlynn.com. Awesome. Thank you so much for joining us. You're welcome. Anything that you need, just let me know. The Black Doctors Podcast is a nonprofit volunteer passion project with the goal of inspiring all who listen. Tune in next week for another 